0: Hello and welcome to the Power in the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winterton, and joining me on the line as he does every week, it's Ben Cadd. How are you, Caddy?
1: I uh, just feel like deja vu, we know, here at the moment, just in another lockdown in Melbourne. Who would have thought, 18 months into this, that we are uh, still can't barely go out the front door. So, it's, uh, yeah, things, things are
0: great. It's unbelievable, isn't it, mate? The, the Victorian government are going as well, about as well as your man, Bryn Forbes, has during the playoffs, <laughs> mate. They're shooting about 13% from the field and turning it over a hell of a lot, but... Uh, Let's not get too political, Caddy, because we could go on for days about the Victorian government, but we won't. We won't get sidetracked because we've got an absolutely intriguing NBA final series that's going on at the moment. We saw Game Five today. Now, last time we spoke, it was uh, Phoenix Suns that won the first two games, and 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 I asked you after those two games, you you had predicted Phoenix to win the series in five, and I wanted and I asked you, did you was that the way you're going to going to keep going? and You said, yeah, I'll. I'll stick with Phoenix in five, and I stuck with my Phoenix in six as it looked like Phoenix had been pretty good, obviously, in the first two games, and since then it's been a complete uh, a complete 180. And we saw game five today, and it was it was actually Phoenix who came out really hard, wasn't it? They looked fantastic in that first quarter. They shot 74% from the field and had a 16-point lead at quarter time, and it was six turnovers from Milwaukee that was the catalyst for that. That actually only turned the ball over five times in the whole of game four, so obviously to have six turnovers in that first quarter got uh, got Phoenix going, um, but but after quarter time, it was all Milwaukee, and it was only the fourth time Caddy in finals history that a comeback of over 15 points uh, had been achieved after the first quarter, um, and it was a three stars from Milwaukee that, that were absolutely incredible, and it was actually the first trio in NBA finals history to score over 27 points each, which just illustrates how good the three were today. Um and Milwaukee come away with the win. It was the first team since the Miami Heat in 0-6 to go two uh to go zero two down and then win the next three games. So obviously a super impressive win for Milwaukee on the road. What did you see, Caddy? What was the most impressive thing for you from a Milwaukee Bucks perspective?
1: Well, I think it was their resilience to come back after that first quarter. I mean, I was sitting there watching it and you know, Phoenix just couldn't, you know, as you mentioned, could barely miss in that first quarter. And the shot making was incredible. Um, and then it was basically, I thought at that stage, oh, by, by how far Phoenix were going to really go to, you know, run away with, with this game. So to Milwaukee's credit, um, they basically hung in there and um, they had uh, Coach Bud interviewed at quarter time. And I think, you know, he, he came across really calm and collected at that point, which surprised me. I thought he would have been tearing what hair he had left out of his he head. He usually but, looks um, very flustered on the sidelines, doesn't he? Yeah, he does, but no, he, he was really. Cool he, he starts and sweating
0: about thirty seconds into the game, and he's red as if he's just run about ten k's.
1: <laughs> but no, he, he was really positive about the fact they just needed to you know chip away at it, and um, they certainly did more than that in that second quarter, scoring forty three points, which was um, you know they basically just reversed the fortunes of what we'd seen from Phoenix in that first quarter. So, yeah, I thought really, really good resilience to hang in there um, after quarter time, and, and obviously get get the game on their terms, and in the end, probably. Wouldn't say lucky to hang on, but they yeah they did did make it a bit harder than they probably should have down the stretch. But they were able to get into
0: that that lead very quickly in that second quarter, weren't they? Within sort of a couple of minutes, they would s- sort of taken ten points off that lead lot like, real quickly. I thought Phoenix took some really ordinary shots early on. There was a couple of rust threes. Jay Crowder took a couple. I think uh, uh, somebody else took one of them. Might have been Bridges. And I think they were just sort of playing a bit too relaxed at that stage. Phoenix obviously had had a big lead and they started to put up some ordinary shots and, and Milwaukee ate into that lead really quickly, didn't they?
1: And it, yeah, it did. And it coincided with when Devin Booker basically went to the bench. I mean, his plus-minus numbers in this game are incredible. He played the 42 minutes and he was plus 12. So basically… Yeah, incredible, in six, yeah, like you said. Yeah, those six minutes that he wasn't out there, um, yeah, things weren't really going the way Phoenix would have liked. And, you know, Booker played a terrific game. Did um, you think Monty Williams him kept
0: him on the bench too long in that second quarter? He was on the bench for six minutes in that second quarter. And as I said, Milwaukee were just eating into that lead and you could see their confidence growing and… And I thought maybe Monty Williams could have brought Booker in maybe a little bit earlier.
1: Yeah, you'd probably, like in hindsight, you'd like to think that. I mean, he's obviously trying to steal uh, some minutes where he can to give Booker some rest. But, yeah, things were turning pear-shaped pretty quickly and there would have been, I think, a more opportune time to, to get him back in just to try and settle things down. But, um, yeah, just and incredibly, got incredibly,
0: sorry, mate, incredibly, Jarnes uh, was on the bench during this period. So they had both sort of the, the stars on the bench and, and Milwaukee were the ones that were able to eat into that lead.
1: Yeah, they were and um, yeah, to their credit, as I said, they you know they basically got a, a much bigger spread of production. It was Bobby Portis in that second quarter that really fired up. And My man, it. Bobby. He, the googly eyes were, were going and he was really flexing and getting, um, well, not that he was getting the home crowd going, but he was getting his teammates uh, going as well. So he, he was the one that gave them that bit of. Bit of spark off the bench in this one. I mean, Pat Connaughton's been playing, you know, bulk almost starter-like minutes as well. So his performance was was really impressive as well. But as Portis's energy, I thought that, you know, the help turn that in that second quarter. And, yeah, and then it sort of it fed through to the rest of the team. And, you know, the big three players, as you mentioned, Giannis, Middleton and Holiday. Um, yeah, we, we, what I think we've really seen. A trio have that type of impact in a game at, at any stage of a, of a season, let alone in the NBA Finals. So it was an incredible performance. You know, we touched on all the way through the uh, the series, and when we we're talking about it pre-series about how it needed to be that consistency across the Milwaukee players that we're, we're going to hold them in any stead to to be successful here, and that's what they certainly delivered today.
0: Oh, no doubt about it. I, I think Milwaukee are pretty much unbeatable when their three stars are playing in that level. So Chris Middleton, twenty nine point seven rebounds, five assists, twenty of those points coming in the second half on the back of his forty point game in Game Four, which was unbelievable. And for me, I thought the best player on the court today was Drew Holiday. He's obviously outstanding offensively uh, with the 27 points, four rebounds and 13 assists. He just played a beautiful uh, point guard role, but obviously hitting shots as well. But his defense was absolutely incredible, as it has been right throughout the series. Now, we've called upon Drew Holiday right throughout these playoffs to give them something more offensively. But his, his defense has been unbelievable. It's, it, I mean, it's no no coincidence Chris Paul's numbers have taken a bit of a dive since Game 2 when Drew Holiday has gone on to him. He's made life extremely difficult for Chris Paul and we'll touch on Chris Paul in a minute when we get to the Phoenix side of things, but... Holiday, his defense, outstanding again. Only 4 from 20 in Game 4, so needed to rebound strongly, which he did. But two really crucial steals in this game, both on Devin Booker. One in the third quarter where he just snatched it out of Booker's hands, went down, pulled up and hit a 3, which which put the margin out to 8 points and gave Milwaukee a bit of breathing space. And then again, obviously, the play of the game with 20 seconds to go. Booker, one-on-one, on one, spins. He comes off his man, helps out, rips the ball away from him, Goes down the court, throws the alley oop, and Yanis from the rafters throws it down, and Chris Paul try, p- trying to prevent the the dunk from happening fouls him at the same time, and that was basically the game winning play. So, how impressed have you been? Firstly, with Chris Middleton over the last two games. I think we spoke last time we spoke we we said um, he needed to lift, and and we know Chris Middleton can be so up and down, but his last two two games have been outstanding. And secondly, how impressive uh, impressed today were you with Drew Holiday?
1: Yeah, look, they both stepped up when they had to, and you know, in game four, it was Middleton with the forty points, as you mentioned, fifteen of thirty-three. You know, really took it upon himself to to really get himself going and get the get the Milwaukee Bucks back into the uh, back into the series. And today, he was just ultra professional all the way through. Hit big shots when he had to. but his defense was was exceptional as well. So, yeah, he, he's been able to be able to become that second slash third banana for this team consistently in these last two games, and that's you know what we spoke about at the start of the series, and. And, you know, when you look back to the start of the series, it was a 29-point game and an 11-point game, 18-40. So that inconsistency has been there. But when he's at his best, you like he has been in these last two games, as you mentioned there, they're going to be hard they, – well, they are hard to stop and, and because we know and – we, and we've said it time and time again, we kind of know what we get from Giannis on a night-to-night basis statistically – and it was really where that support was going to come from. And, and Middleton's been the guy in both of these last two games that sort of stood up. Because Drew Holiday, as you mentioned, had an absolute nightmare in game four, of the four from the 20 from the field. Uh, one of my colleagues at Impact Realty and Mount Eliza, Johnny Merchant. he was just pulling his hair out. Couldn't believe that he was even on the floor still. That's how bad he was going. And then, you know, today you can see the you know the upside of, of why they, you know, paying him max money, gave up all those draft picks to get him in because the defence was, you know, exceptionally high. And then he was able to obviously impact it at a really, really high level offensively as well in this game uh, today. So to get all three of them singing off the same hymn book uh, in the same game today away from home, has just shifted everything in this series and all the momentum now heads to Milwaukee for game six.
0: It certainly does. What, what about Giannis the last two games? I thought he's game four. He just sort of played within himself a little bit. He looked a little bit gassed. I mean, it's he. we've seen in game three and four, unusually he came out about two or three minutes into the game, which which I think he said in the press conference he needed to go to the toilet. But, I mean, that, that's a little unusual within of it itself. And we saw even today in the third quarter, Jeff Van Gundy commented about a minute and a half maybe two minutes max into that third quarter, that Giannis looked gassed. So I'm not sure what's going on with him, but but he was he was fantastic today. He just Again, he didn't sort of o- overplay anything. He only took the the one three-pointer, which is what you want to see. He wasn't shooting some of those shots, which, which sort of drive you insane. I must say, though, he did get bailed out a little bit, only four from 11 from, from the free-throw line. But what, what have you seen from Giannis right throughout this series? He's just been absolutely super impressive, and it's probably just added to his legacy, hasn't he?
1: Oh, absolutely! He's been incredible, and as you said, I think he, I agree. I think he did get bailed out today because those, um, particularly the first two free throws he missed in that last quarter, really opened the door for Phoenix to, to you know, have a bit of a sniff. And then he missed that, that, uh, and one with the Chris Paul foul, and luckily they were able to execute an offensive rebound. Which he, he missed had, it so uh,
0: badly that it was just it was could have gone anywhere, and, and fell into the hands of them. And he he actually he tapped it out back. Uh, tapped it back out to the three-point line. But because he'd missed it so short, it just made, made it hard for Phoenix to rebound, didn't it?
1: Oh, it's a terrible shot, but you know, as you said, anyone trying to read it off the rim just had no chance, and um, yeah, it became a bit of a, a chaos ball, if you like. And um, yeah, they were able to uh, Milwaukee get that possession again and, and send Chris Middleton to the free throw line, and game over, effectively. So, look, Giannis has been incredible. You, you talked about those games two and three, the forty point back to back games, were, were just monstrous, and it really helped, you know, in terms of uh, Milwaukee. I suppose feeling like they're alive in the series after the first two losses, um, you know, to be able to get back on the home floor in that game three and Giannis, you know, coming out, you know, with that big 120 to 100 win with the 41.13 rebound game um, was fantastic. And as you said, uh, uh, he, he hasn't gone above. And beyond anything, he's needed to do in these past two games, but he hasn't had to because he's had that support that we've been crying out for from Chris Middleton in both games and then, um, Drew Holiday from an offensive point of view today as well. So, you know, when the three of them are going and they're getting decent support from Connerton and, and Lopez, you know, pitching in where he has to, Bobby Portis and, and, you know, P.J. Tucker playing you know, pretty important defensive role in particular, That that's the sort of... Effort that I'm sure the Milwaukee Bucks were hoping for to get from these guys and Giannis is, you know, if they if they do hang on here and and, and win this game six and win the championship, his um his resume is starting to pad out exceptionally well. He'll have, as a 26 year old, he's gonna have two MVPs, five All NBAs, Defensive Player of the Year, an All Star Game MVP, five times All Star, and a four time All NBA Defensive, and potentially a Finals MVP if they. Oh if they no, get no through. doubt he's getting that. Yeah. Yeah, so look, if he does win it, I don't, you know, I'd have to go back and look. I don't think, um, certainly, Jordan, LeBron, Magic, Larry Bird, any of these guys at the age of twenty six would have had a had a resume anywhere near that. So, um, pretty incredible to think of what he's accomplished already.
0: It certainly is, and he's, yeah, as you said there, that that, those those uh, that resume is starting to really pat out. Uh, you mentioned there about the supporting cast, and we've obviously already spoken spoken about Middleton and Holiday, and you've brought up Pat Connaughton a couple of times. But how impressive has he's he's been? He, he we sort of questioned what Milwaukee were going to get off the bench. And when Dante DiVincenzo did go down uh, with that injury, we said it's obviously not a huge blow, then that he brings a lot to the table, but it just meant that they were go- there was going to be someone there that they couldn't rely upon. And Connaughton stepped up to the plate four from six from three today. He actually leads the finals in, in makes from three point land. So the, Milwaukee couldn't have asked for anything more out of Connaughton during the series, could they?
1: Absolutely not. You know, and I, I think, you know, we were both probably surprised early on how many minutes he was being relied on to play, um, you know, coming off the bench, you know, essentially averaging the 30 minutes a game through this series and and the three-point shooting. As you mentioned, he's been the guy that's been able to consistently knock him down. His athleticism's underrated. You know, he's been able to keep, you know, keep balls alive, jump over the back, you know, and and take hold of some important rebounds, which he did again today. So, yeah, his contribution um, certainly, you know, is going to be recognised. I'm sure internally, um, more so than anywhere. But um, yeah, he's played a huge role. And to the fact we talked about Devon and not being there, they're not even. you know, Prince Forbes, my man, didn't with the DNP today. You know, Jeff Teague, they basically just can't play. So they, you know, they really are down to that sort of seven seven man rotation, like we we spoke about, and Connaughton's, you know, playing starter like minutes and, and contributing exceptionally well.
0: So Let's shift over now to, to a Phoenix perspective. What what do Phoenix need to do to, to get game six? I mean, they've got back-to-back games from Devin Booker and, and haven't won either of those. Is is it a matter of Chris Paul just just playing a little bit better? Now, you look at his numbers and 21 points and 11 assists. Now, that reads pretty well. He was 9 of 15 from the field. So you look at that and you think, well, Chris Paul's done what he needed to do. But I think that's a little misleading. He was very good in the last quarter, but I thought through the first Oh, probably more so quarters two and three. I thought he was pretty good early sort of getting everyone involved. But I thought uh, during the second and third quarters when Milwaukee were going on their run and, and sort of taking control of this game that Chris Paul didn't step up to the plate and do what he needed to do. Is that what you saw from Chris Paul today? And, and is it as simple as him, you know, going along for the ride that Devin Booker is?
1: Well, maybe not as simple as that. I, uh, my analytics guy at, at work, Jamie Merchant from Impact Realty, um, he's given me the seventy-two percent of the time the team that wins Game Five in the NBA Finals will go on and win the title. So they're going to have to reverse, you know, a fair whack of statistical history there, Phoenix, to to be able to go back and win Game Six in walker to keep the series alive. And as you mentioned, Chris Paul is going to have to be an integral part of that. You know, you, you know, I think we do get caught up with some of these stats in the finals. You've got to remember these guys are playing thirty-five to forty forty five minutes each. So that the stats are going to be inflated and padded out. So I, I look at you know the box score today and you've got eight at twenty and ten, Paul at twenty one and eleven. I don't think either of those guys really influenced, you know, winning that game for Phoenix. Obviously Chris Paul late certainly was. He hit a couple of knockdown threes at the top of the key there when he had some space and time and left open. But, you know, I thought he was pretty passive before that. And far too much reliance left to Devin Booker uh, to try and get things going offensively. And, now, Mikhail Bridges is an interesting one. Like, five from six from the field today. Really effective. I'd like to see the ball try and get into his hands a little bit more as well um, to give them a little bit um, of offense. You know, we saw the, early in the series a 27-point game. You know, you're almost going to need one of these other guys to step up to the plate because, you know, we've seen with Milwaukee, it might take three guys to... Kind of average your score over that 27 point mark to get get the win, and Phoenix is going to have to find ways to do that. Whether it's Chris Paul, you know, come, stepping up like he did in, you know, that clin- clinching Western Conference final game with a 40 point game, he may need to do that in this next. Well, he probably will have to do that to be completely honest, because I think, again, Booker's playing out of his skin, he'll, he'll do what he's got to do, but he, Chris Paul may need to get up to that 30, 40 point range and then get an, a monster game out of a guy like Bridges potentially as well. Just on Bridges, there was a stat that popped up uh,
0: during the game today that when he's taken over 10 shots, that Phoenix are undefeated in the playoffs. So, so that you know gives a lot of weight to what you just said there, that they need him stepping up to the plate. And he just he hasn't been shooting the ball um, in, in the last two games, bizarrely. So as you said there's he's 5 from 6 in the field, 3 from 3 uh, from downtown today. So there's no reason that he shouldn't be taking more shots. And just on Chris Paul, at, at, at the end of the third quarter, there were seven players that had, had that had played more minutes than him. So Ayton had played 33, Middleton at 32, Holiday 30, Crowder 30, Booker 30, Yarnis 28, Connerton 24, and Chris Paul all the way down at 23. So ten less minutes in Aiton, nine nine less than Middleton, and seven less than Holiday. It's it's a little unusual. Uh, there was the the news before this series that he did have a hand injury, and you know maybe we're just searching for excuses because he's probably been below par, and especially in Game Four, you know he had a lot of uh, bad turnovers. He had that 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 really crucial turnover late where he lost his dribble trying to get around Yarnis in Game Four. So, is it? Do you think one Chris Paul might be injured? Or do you think, too, it's just a matter that he's 36 years old, it's been a long season, he's got one of the best perimeter defenders, Drew Holiday, just absolutely harassing him, you know, right throughout the four quarters when he's on the court? Because to me, he's just sort of fallen off the perch the last probably three games, and, and, and that's obviously the reason why Phoenix haven't been able to get their game going.
1: Yeah, look, I think it's the hand. It's it's COVID. It's it's the vibe. It's it's Mabo. You know, it's it's all these things for for Chris Paul potentially that they're going to get put into the melting pot if they lose the series, and you know there'll be plenty of excuses and reasons as to why he, he may fail to to lead Phoenix to this um, to this surprising title if they do in fact go down. But um, you know, look, he does look you know slightly banged up. You know, he's only a, a short point guard, and as you mentioned, he's got the what you know what's perceived to be the you know the most pesky. Defender in the league sort of handing him all the way through these games. So I thought the defense today from Milwaukee, you know, although the scoreline, you know, was a high scoring game, I thought they defended really, really well and made life particularly difficult for for those uh, Phoenix guards. And um, Chris Paul, you know, it wasn't until that last quarter where he was able to break the shackles a little bit and, and get going. So he's going to have to, you know, just find something, you know, whether he is carrying a hand injury, whether he is you know, burning in the lungs a little bit more than he'd like to be. He's just going to have to find a way. This is, you know, he's got, we talked about Giannis's legacy before and uh, his resume, well, Chris Paul's got, you know, a big gaping hole in his and that's the zero NBA championships and this is that chance he might have an elimination game and and Phoenix haven't been in this situation yet in this whole playoffs. They haven't been down facing elimination as yet. Uh, the closest they've been was 2-1 down to the Lakers in the first round. So this is uh, new territory for this uh, pretty young team and, we, and I think, you know, when at the start of the series, we spoke about whether the inexperience of the Phoenix Suns was going to be to their detriment. But they were able to, you know, they've been able to come a long way so far. But you know, this is where, you know, as you often call it, nut crunching time. Well, there's no bigger time to to stand up now for these young uh, young Phoenix players and you know their leader Chris Paul in a game six elimination on the road.
0: So let's. I'm going to ask you to put your coaching hat on. Caddy, I've mentioned before you're a highly credentialed coach in the MPNFL, so let's <laughs> pretend pretend you're Monty Williams heading into, into game six. What what are you looking at? What are you telling your team they need to do more? If you glance at the stats, they've scored 119 points. They shot 55% from the field, 68% from three, and 90% from the line. So I don't think they could do much more on from an offensive perspective. But So if you, you were the coach, what would you be telling them they need to concentrate on to, to get game
1: six? Well, you'd almost be putting you know, all your energy maybe into a guy like Chris Middleton and just make, you know, we've seen how important his secondary who, who role is. Who defends
0: him? Bridges just hounds him for four quarters?
1: Yeah, well, whether it's Crowder physically early on, maybe trying to get into his face, get him off his game, you know, be prepared to give up a couple of fouls and even a couple of hard fouls. I think Bridges, athletic, you know, athletically is going to be the goal. We saw Devin Booker playing a lot of defence on Chris Middleton today as well. So, but yeah, I think, you know, He's the guy you've got to target because he, you know, I think he's the barometer for Milwaukee. And, you know, and we've said it time and time again, I don't think there's a hell of a lot you can do around Giannis. He's going to get his 30 and 10. Um, but Chris Middleton, if he you can keep into a, a game where he's only scoring in the teens or the low 20s, well, you're going to give yourself absolutely every opportunity to win it. So, how do you get him off your How do you get him uncomfortable and off his game? You know, they're going to be playing in a stadium that's going to be absolutely electric and buzzing with Milwaukee fans. So, you know what are the tips and tricks that they can try and do to get Chris Middleton, you know, potentially off his game, and and I look at a guy like Crowder with all of his experience and physicality. Maybe he's the guy that can just sacrifice early in this game and and, and take it up to uh, Chris Middleton in particular and make a real focus of it because um because yeah as we said if if we can keep him slightly off his game and, and below his best then you you know you're you giving yourself a, a better chance to stay in the game.
0: I agree. He's definitely the one, the last two games that has got going and obviously no coincidence that Milwaukee have been able to come away with those two wins. So so what are you predicting for, for game six, Caddy? Do you think it's now obviously Milwaukee clearly in the block seat? Do you think they're going to close out this championship and, and reel off four in a row? I don't think Phoenix have lost four in a row all season, their, their biggest losing margin was three and I think oh, – sorry, their, their biggest losing streak was three and they'd only done that once all, all season. So are, are you predicting a, a Milwaukee closeout in game six?
1: Yeah, look, well, I've certainly been wrong a fair way through all these playoff rounds. I thought it was actually a decent chance. Um, I had the first three games pegged in this when it was 2-1 and you know, uh, Phoenix certainly had their chances in – in game four to try and get it to 3-1 to three one there. But, um, look, it's going to be really hard to see Phoenix getting off the canvas here. Like, you talk about DeAndre Ayton, as much as, you know, the numbers looked okay, he looked he looked like he was blowing pretty hard through this game, uh, Mikael Bridges as well. So, he had a couple of
0: um, costly turnovers too, uh, Ayton. He's only got two turnovers, but he they were both easy drops, which would have led to dunks, and I'm pretty sure both of them went down the other end of Milwaukee Hit three. So, as you said, as good as his numbers looked, he, he, he did miss a couple of key plays.
1: Yeah, so look, I just think, yeah, with the energy Milwaukee would have taken away from today, I mean, they'd be absolutely buzzing here about what they were able to achieve. And, you know, they get another two days off in between. Look, I don't think that's a that's obviously going to be a positive if, if we're assuming that Giannis is obviously still carrying a bit of a knee injury as well. So they'll get some rest um, and fire up at home. There'll be plenty of um, plenty of buzz yeah, in Wisconsin, I would have thought over the next couple of days and that um that Deer Valley or whatever it's called, plus the plus the arena is going to be going absolutely mental. Um, and I think there's just too much momentum now with Milwaukee for Phoenix to be able to turn this around.
0: Yeah, I agree. As much I I, I hope it, do, it doesn't go this way, but I agree. There's, there's just so much momentum go, going uh, Milwaukee's way. Deer District, as just said we're going nuts today, so they're obviously going to be doing that for the home game. So. Yeah, it, it's gonna it's gonna be a cruel blow to to Chris Paul if he does if they do go down in their sixth game to go up to two0 um all the focus went on to him He'd, he's been such a, a story player throughout his career he was his chance to finally win that that elusive title and it would just it would just kill him to to see this go down and and go down um in six games I've asked you this this question uh, every week so far during the finals. If you if you're betting on your, if you were voting on your MVP, sorry, who would you go for? It Giannis pretty clearly, you think?
1: Oh, I think so. Now I look at, I mean, Middleton's coming with a coming with a late charge, but I think Giannis over the course of yeah, you know, if we're assuming um, that this thing's going to be done in six and it's a four two Milwaukee win, then you know a guy that's going to be averaging somewhere in the vicinity of thirty plus points and thirteen rebounds at this stage. Um, yeah, it's going to be pretty hard to to go past, and he'd be a deserving winner. And um, just the caps an incredible, incredible story, really, from the day you know he entered the he entered the NBA. So, look, you know, let, let's hope Phoenix can pull something out of out of somewhere for this uh, for this game six and, and and prolong the series one more game. I've really enjoyed the series, and I think um, you know we chatted about that in the lead up to the series. What you know, where the excitement meter was, and I was probably sitting in the 70s somewhere, and then um, we're certainly going. to... How oh, is the excitement meter going now? <laughs> excited meter was peaking actually it was nearly bursting uh during this game today it was um yes just that last quarter I thought was absolutely exceptional basketball and, and, I, and I think the point I was trying to make is the fact that you know we didn't need two big big city teams or big you know storied franchises having to play as long as you know we've got you know star players which we do on on both sides and the basketball's physical and uh, which it has been and yeah I thought the standard of play today was Clearly exceptional when you, look, when you look at the box scores and the percentages that both teams were shooting. I, I thought today's game was, was outstanding in the series in its in its entirety. Or you know those first three games weren't you know really close. They were pretty much sewn up pretty early in in, in those games. I thought the last two games in particular have certainly been a lot tighter, and, and it's been a really enjoyable finals.
0: Yeah, I agree. The, the level of basketball today was outstanding. We obviously had Phoenix scorching hot in that first quarter and then the second and third quarters the Milwaukee offense was was unbelievable I didn't think Phoenix were doing a hell of a lot wrong but Milwaukee were just hitting shot after shot and then and then the last quarter was was great I mean there was just a you know execution on both ends the defense was good the offense was good so I agree I, I think especially today's game was was a really high level and I agree with that it's it's clear it's clearly a Giannis MVP at this stage and uh, Middleton is making a late run, but and Booker's clearly the one uh, for Phoenix if it does sway back their way. And it's interesting that we we both had Chris Paul as, as the leader last time we spoke, and now he's probably fourth in line. That probably j- just gives a tale of how much, A, he's dropped off, and B, Phoenix have as well as a result of that. So now, Caddy, we'll, we'll shift over and talk a bit of uh, Boomer's talk, so... Uh, last time we spoke, they'd just knocked off Argentina with a game-winning shot by Patty Mills. Now, since then, they then um, magically knocked off uh, Team USA ninety-one eighty-three, and then gave Nigeria a bit of a touch-up when they rested basically all their starters apart from Landale. They won that one 108-69. So we'll talk firstly from a from a boomer's perspective before we get into into Team USA. What, what's what been the most impressive aspect for you um, out of this 3-0 sort of uh, warm-up games that, that you've seen. Oh, from from me, I was really impressed during that Team USA game with Joe Ingalls aggressiveness early. In that first quarter, he came out and we've spoken a couple of times about Joe Ingalls looking a little bit passive in the big moments when he's had a, a boomer's jersey on. Now, this is just an exhibition game, so... You know, ultimately, it doesn't mean too much, but I thought it was it was a really positive sign to see Joe Ingles come out and fire away and knock down a couple of big threes early and set the tone for for the Boomers in that game. And then Matisse Theibel, um, which we who we spoke about last week as well, obviously defensively did a really good job. He blocked that shot on on Kevin Durant during that game. But again, he's just got no fear as well. He obviously plays against these guys every night of the year, so he's not going to be intimidated coming up against a Team USA or any other player for that matter. So I think. His inclusion in this Olympic campaign is going to be really big.
1: Oh, he's been enormous. I've, you know, I think the way, you know, I think that's probably been the positive for me. that We know that the Boomers have been a tight, a tight team, really, for the best part of eight to ten years. They're even going back slightly further. And, um, you know, there's been such stability with Ingalls and Mills and Dulliver over and Baines and just more recently Landale and and, and these guys. But I think the fact that um, Dybal's been able to come in and, and really buy into it, and I don't know if you've seen his, He's done a couple of little YouTube videos that um that he sort of takes a video and go around. He just seems like a really down to earth guy, and he he's taking it all in and really, um you know going trying to get everything he can out of this experience. And um you know he, he would have been forgiven to to maybe you know not be that interested, particularly even when his t- uh, Philadelphia teammate Ben Simmons pulled it up. But um yeah for him to yeah really ingrain himself into the Boomers culture and then and then play the way he has. I mentioned it's been just. Uh, mentioned last week, it's been so impressive to see you know an Australian boomer that's got that athleticism can really slash through and and you know hammer down a few of those dunks and his defense and his hands have just been so busy all the way through uh, these games. I think he's going to be a crucial part of everything the Boomers are going to be able to do in the um in these Olympics and um, yeah, it's actually fantastic to to have him there and I think through these three games, you know, the thing that impressed me the most about the Boomers is just that synergy. It just seems like it's been able to reconnect so quickly and, and straight away and, and that was the key thing when you looked at the US versus the Boomers as much as the US guys on paper had, you know, 10 times as much all-star level talent. Um, yeah, you can just tell with some of these teams that have been around and played together a lot, there is some obviously real value in, in that so... That'll keep the boomers in, in good shape going into, um, into Tokyo.
0: So when you're looking at the Boomers roster, is there an area of concern for you that you're looking at thinking, oh, we might be a little bit susceptible there? I was pleased to see it, and I I called for this last week. Chris Goulding get a few a few more minutes. Now he was good against uh, Team USA. He uh, hit 11 points. He hit, hit uh, three from five from downtown, and then it was obviously against Nigeria. Was on fire. Seven from seven from three. So you're obviously not going to expect him to shoot at that level, but I, I think he's going to be a big piece for for the Boomers coming off the bench and and knocking down those open threes. But but for you, as I said, is is there a little area of concern that you think that we need to address?
1: Oh, look, I'm, I mean, not that I'm you know overly bullish about you know what too much of what Aaron Baines effectively will bring to the table. You know, just that that big man department does seem a little bit thin, and I don't I don't think it matters necessarily against a team USA, for example. But you now when we're coming up against teams like Spain and France that um, will have you know really really talented big guys, you just have they said anything you know, about
0: Baines's knee injury that he copped against the US? That was a pretty big hit.
1: Yeah, no, look he obviously sat out the Nigeria game and I haven't seen any update as to you know to the status of that injury. So, you know, if he if he, you know, has got carrying something through then, you know, we do get a bit thin with Landale, Nick Key Nick Kay, who I'm I'm a huge fans of both of those guys, plus the guy, um, Jouap Reith, who I've been, you know, really He's looked really with good, up. hasn't
0: he? He can knock, knock down he, the three and he's good in the post.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen him really play at all. I know he played he's been playing professionally in Serbia, but uh, he's been a real real positive as well, I think. For these boomers, he's he's been able to come in and, and not look out of place at all, and um has certainly put to bed any you know questions about his selection into this squad. So um he's again, signed, he's signed for
0: the NBL next year too, hasn't he? Was it Adelaide?
1: Was I it... believe so. So look who knows after the Olympics, he, he might get um you know he might end, end up back in Europe. Um who knows? But yeah, no, I've, I've liked the way he's gone about his business. So maybe just that big man department when they're really bustling and and you know down in the paint as to whether or not um you know the the big man. It is going to be sufficient enough, but I think at this stage, it's hard to be too critical of what we've seen, and it all bodes pretty well. But as we know, it only takes you know one bad game in that final four, and and you're knocked out. So, hopefully, firstly they can get that far, and then you know when they get the opportunity, yeah, things go their way.
0: So we'll make a few predictions next week uh, when, we, when we wrap up the final, the NBA finals. Now, now, we'll switch over and talk about Team USA. Obviously, a disappointing loss to, to the Boomers after that. They had lost to, to Nigeria a couple of nights earlier. Now, they did come out in Game 3 and get a pretty convincing win against Argentina. Now, since then, though, a, a big blow for them. Bradley Beal has had to withdraw because of some COVID protocols. And Kevin Love's also also withdrawn due to a calf a nagging calf injury, which he had during the NBA season. So I'm not sure why he was with the squad, if it was sorta of still nagging him. It's a bit of a strange one. anyway, they've brought in Keldon Johnson, who had been playing with them. He actually got on the court against the Boomers. And I thought he looked pretty good. Knocked down a couple of threes, didn't seem fearless and and sort of fitted in pretty seamlessly. And and surprisingly that the, the replacement for Kevin Love was JaVal McGee. Now if you had if you'd given me, if you'd said to me they're gonna they're gonna replace Kevin Love with the center, and you'd given me fifteen, maybe even twenty guesses, I don't think <laughs> I would have guessed Javale McGee. What, was was that a huge shock to you that they'll bring in Javale McGee as that center replacement?
1: Yeah, not sure where it's come from. I mean, I did read somewhere that his mother was on the nineteen eighty four American women's team. Yeah, the one gold. Um, so perhaps you know, there's a, there's a nice bit of synergy and some history associated with that. But no, outside of that, it's a staggering selection, and um, yeah. I just find it hard to believe that they couldn't have been able to get another guy, um, whether they were in the select squad or they were just sitting around in Vegas somewhere anyway uh, to come in and and, and be a part of this team. But um, JaVale McGee is and, you know, look, I, I just hope that, well, I don't really hope, but you know, America just can't be too I suppose too cheeky here when they get over to Tokyo because um already they've gone out from a dollar ten to a dollar twenty-five on sports bet to win the gold. Um, the, Aussie, the Aussies the are into um second favourite at six dollars. So that, that has shifted uh, since this time last week. So, you know, look we obviously know that on paper that you know, even without Bradley Bill they're gonna have significant uh, talent advantage, but it's just you know how these guys are gonna come together and as as we've discussed, you know, Middleton Booker And Holiday is still all yet to join the team and, you know, what type of physical and mental condition are they going to be in and then have to, you know, within a day or two, really basically uh, work into this U.S. team environment. So a lot's going to be left to the likes of Kevin Durant, Damon Willard, Jason Tatum, I think, to carry this U.S. team through the early rounds. And, you know, I think they'll obviously sleepwalk their way through some of the early pool games and the business end of things once they get to the quarterfinals is when they'll really need to be up and humming.
0: Yeah, so I agree the Javale McGee uh, selection very puzzling. The only thing I can think of is that they're just looking for a rim runner, someone to give him a bit of verticality spacing because that that's not something that uh, Draymond Green offers or Kevin Love was offering, and you know Bam Adebayo does offer that. So maybe they're just looking for a couple of centers to, to do that. And he, and he plays pretty hard, but this is a guy that started the season in Cleveland. Was traded to Denver and basically didn't play at all. All in the playoffs, so it's it's a it's a very unusual selection that Javale McGee was the one that that they
1: they did go for. And I don't well think in, in the space of um twelve months, he might win an NBA championship and a uh, Olympic gold medal. he, he hardly plays for the bloody Lakers either when they
0: won it. So I don't know what <laughs> Well, what's going. I
1: think if you if you said something you know a couple of years ago to Javale that you'll end his career with both a championship with the LA Lakers and an Olympic gold medal, yes yeah, you would have been thinking you're dreaming. So pretty long it, odds. Funny. Funny how things uh, sometimes work out.
0: It certainly is. I don't think he's played for Team USA before either, so he doesn't have that sort of history with him. So anyway, that's that's an unusual selection. So w- what's concerning you from a Team USA perspective? For me, the, the biggest advantage Team USA have, have always had over their, their opponent is the, their athletic advantage. But because they're not good defensively, they're not able to use that athletic advantage. I, I can't remember... Um, against when they played the Boomers, them getting any dunks or any open transition plays at all because their defense just wasn't good enough. So when you get, when you go back and you think about the best teams that the, that the USA have put together, you go all the way back to the original Dream Team. You know Pippen and Michael Jordan were the two best defenders on the planet, so that they would be hounding the opposition's guards and they'd get out in tr- in transition and get some easy points. Then you go to the Redeem Team in in 2012. You had Kobe. Wade, LeBron and CP3, all elite defenders. You, you watch any highlights of the Redeem team and you can watch 15 minutes of them just throwing down dunks because they were getting out in the open court and throwing down highlight dunks, throwing alley-oops to each other. They were having a great old time. We haven't seen that at all from, from, from this United States team as yet. So that would be my biggest concern. If they're not able to utilise their, their athletic advantage, it's going to make life difficult. Yes, they've got some, some outstanding shooters in, in Durant, and Lillard and Tatum and, and, you know, Levine can get hot. So they've got guys that can shoot the ball, but so do all the other teams. So they need to be able to utilise their athletic advantage. So I think if... If Drew Holiday can come into the squad and still be, you know, and still feeling pretty good after the finals, well, he's going to be huge for them because he's going to he's going to hound the opposition guards, as we've seen him doing to Chris Paul. And if he can create some turnovers and get them out into the open court, that's going to be really big for them. And maybe they're looking at Calden Johnson to be able to do that as well. So so for me, I think they need to be able to lock down defensively and just get a few more fast-break points because there, there weren't too many of that forthcoming in the Boomers game, was there?
1: No, there wasn't, and I think you know the international games just come such a long way. From you know, when you talk about as far back as 1992, I mean, you know, the the game now that we've seen so many more international players now in the NBA, and you know, all-star level players from other countries that are now in the NBA. So the the gap is certainly um, narrowed, I think, um, just from a from a star level point of view that that we see right around the right around the world now. So there's that, and then I think you know as you mentioned the fast break points are, there's so much of this international game played within the half court and when it gets down to that the defense um, that the US have isn't really any any better than what we're seeing from another a lot of these other countries and the three-point shootings the same so I think you're right I think it needs to get back to a game of athleticism and using their advantage in, in that sense because if they're just trying to rely on you know running plays you know when you look at the way the the, the boomers do it they've got probably a 100 plays in their playbook that they all know off by heart and know exactly where they need to be at the right time. The US guys just don't have that at this stage, so you know, they can't rely on just being able to be better man on man within a half court situation. So um, I, I agree, they need to get out running more and that defense. Is certainly the, the the start starting point uh, starting point to getting some really good offense going.
0: So we'll leave the Olympic talk there, Caddy. As I said, next week we'll make a few predictions for our gold, uh, silver, and bronze medalists. Uh, we'll just hit on a little bit of uh, news that was announced during the week. Now, we spoke about a couple of weeks ago the bizarre situation with Kawhi Leonard and the fact that maybe the Clippers weren't even 100% sure what was going on with him. Now, they announced during the week that he's had he's got a partially torn ACL and has had the surgery for that. Now, usually the the recovery period for a partially torn ACL is six to nine months, somewhere around there. Um, that's what uh, Spencer Dinwiddie had this year, and obviously he, he missed the season with that. So... It's a little bit bizarre that it came out a full month after uh, the Clippers season had finished. They didn't really say when he'd had the surgery, whether he had it a few weeks ago, whether he had it this week, remains a little bit up in the air. But, but where does that leave Kawhi and the Clippers situation? He's got the, the option of opting into his contract next season and then signing a, a five-year max, or he can opt out. And sign a four-year extension this year because it's got to do with how many seasons that you've spent with the team, as to how many years they can offer you. So, firstly, did you did you find it bizarre that it did come out that he had an ACL injury, and secondly, where, where do you see this situation going now with Kawhi and the Clippers?
1: Well, I didn't find it so much bizarre because I think there was probably enough, you know, innuendo around there that it potentially the ACL did have a tear, and then the fact now it's a, a partial tear just you know creates even more um confusion and, and you know shrouded in secrecy like it always is. So that contract you mentioned's, you know, gonna be just incredible how it plays out in this off season. Cause I think the Clippers are gonna have want to have some assurances, A, around, you know, the health of, of Leonard and the and the surgery and his rehab and the time that they're expecting him to come back. Cause, you know, at this stage if it's a standard partial tear, then you, you may expect him to be back on the court in January or February or something like that. But knowing um Kawhi Leonard's history, and I remember when he was at the Spurs and he had that cord injury at that time, and he basically shut himself down and <laughs> took him took himself away from the team. So, you know, the, the Clippers are going to want to have some assurances that you know he's fair income and, and and going to know everything about the injury and his timeline to return. Because um, if they're going to pony up another five years, you know, max level money, that you know they need to be really confident that he's he's all in, on board and, and and ready to be a part of it. I mean, the option for Leonard is just, just option to that opt into that player option and play the season out. But I think you know that that'd be far too risky. Uh, for a guy like Leonard. so I think he'd be looking to either um, decline and, and sign somewhere else on a longer term deal, but again that any other team that's going to be interested is going to want to, A, a be prepared that he probably may not play at all next season, or, or a limited amount of time next season, and then, you know, what does it look like going forward, so yeah, he certainly doesn't do himself he's you know, people around him don't do, he, do him any favours in terms of transparency and getting a bit of a feel for, for where he's at, at at any given stage, so It's going to be a fascinating watch to see how it all plays out.
0: Are you expecting him to play at all all next season? I'd be staggered if he does. I mean, you mentioned the fact that with the Spurs there, they sort of cleared him. He didn't want to play. So it sounds like he's one of these players that has to feel 100% um, happy and confident within himself. So I can't imagine he's going to want to come off... You know, surgery to his ACL, and he's going to, it's going to sort of coincide with almost playoff time. And he, that's obviously when, when the intensity ramps right up. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if he didn't play at all next season. So let's say that's the case. Let's say he opts into his contract next year and then he's eligible to sign that five year extension with the Clippers. If you were the Clippers GM, would you sign Kawhi Leonard to a five year extension at his age with his history, injury history, if he didn't play at all next year?
1: Uh, no, I wouldn't. I, I absolutely Even though they not, gave so. up
0: a boatload of picks to, to bring in Paul George to pair these two up, yep. and they've got Paul George on.
1: Well, I think, you know, if you're basically looking at, you know, if you're not committing to that longer-term money, you know, you've still got that to spend. You're still in a big market. You still have Paul George on the butch. I think you just, you know, you, you basically look at, at starting it all over again because I think if Leonard basically – Misses all of next season, and then you know he's coming off a, a, another significant injury. You know, at, and you mentioned at his age, he's not a spring chicken anymore. I think it's um, yeah, it's it's quite a dangerous thing to be doing. So, yeah, look this this contract, um, you know, this the way that they even um, manufactured it this first time around when he got to LA, it's it's left him in this position. You know, when he had the two years plus one, and, and now you know he's going to be. Everyone's going to be sitting around talking about Leonard until he, he makes a decision, and the fact that he's injured and had surgery, well, it's just added another dimension to the whole thing.
0: Oh, it certainly has. I, I I would still sign him to that five-year max. I know it's probably not a, a smart thing to do, but you, you don't have the opportunity to get someone of the calibre of Kawhi Leonard to your team all that often. So they gave up so much to get him and Paul George together. It's probably going to end up being... But maybe even in his first year back, he's not going to be obviously be one hundred percent, and the back end of that maybe the last two years won't uh, be be as you know as influential as you'd like him to be. But you're going to bank on those middle couple of years, but he, him being close to his best, and that and that'll give you a chance to win to win a championship. And that's the Clippers haven't won one, so that that's obviously why they bought these two together. So. I, I can't imagine they're going to pull the pin on bringing these two together before they, you know, they really have to. So, but it will be interesting to see what happens. He can obviously opt out and then go and sign it, Miami or New York or wherever he likes. So, there's going to be a lot of scuttlebutt around Kawhi Leonard just because of the fact that you mentioned what you mentioned earlier is that. That not a lot comes out from him. So everybody's sort of left guessing about what will happen with Kawhi Leonard. So yeah, I'm intrigued to, to see what does happen with him in the in the off season. Another player, another superstar for that matter, that does have a lot of intrigue around him at the moment is Damian Lillard. Now there's been a lot of sort of scuttlebutt again about Damian Lillard and how happy he he is uh, with the Portland Trailblazers at the moment. Um, he, he came out and sort of... Back to hiring of Chauncey Billups originally, and then that, and then it came out about uh, Billups's background. So he sort of backed away from that, and he copped a little bit of heat around that. And then he made a few comments about the Portland Trailblazers, and it was sort of seemed, you know, is Dame trying to get himself away from Portland? So he came out and had a press conference. Uh, I think it was today or early last night no- or late last night. Sorry. And I'll, I'll just read a couple of those comments to you, Caddy, because they, they raise a few eyebrows for me. Now a couple of them was. I don't disagree that maybe Chauncey can change our team and make us a better team, but I think if you look at our team as it is, I don't see how you say this is a championship team we just need a new coach. My intention is my heart is to be in a Blazers uniform my entire career. You want to win it all, but we have to be making strides to do so. So those comments there to me are extremely interesting. It doesn't sound like a guy that's 100% in at the moment, and, and maybe that's fair enough. He, he's given everything he possibly can to Portland. They haven't been able to put the pieces around him. So what are you reading to those comments, Caddy? To you, does it sound like he's trying to angle his way out of Portland, or, or do you think he's going to stay there at least this season, see how it goes with Billups, and then maybe ask for an exit if it doesn't go the way he's looking for?
1: Yeah, Alex, it's just gonna be again another fascinating one here with Lillard. Um, you know, that contract as we know, only kicks in really this mega contract that he has signed starts in this season. So he's gonna be paid forty three million dollars, forty seven, fifty, then fifty four over the next four years, which is, you know, record setting money um, in the NBA history. So, um, look, you'd like to think you'll at least give it a year in, in Portland with the new coach and yeah, you, know, you look at Lillard and I think it is a guy in a hurry, even this experience he's gonna be having with team USA and he'll with all these other superstar level players and a guy like Kevin Durant who has you know moved around the league a couple of times off his own bat, so you know he's going to see see that that's happened before and the opportunities that do exist if you can sort of dictate your way out of town. But the problem he's got obviously is that long, uh, long contract that he's just um, uh, signed into. So Portland essentially hold the keys with that. They're going to have to be absolutely blown away by a trade offer I would have thought to even consider moving and We spoke about a few weeks ago, a couple of scenarios that could exist potentially for him. But um yeah, it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna take a hell of a lot to encourage Portland to, to move him out. And I don't s- I think you know from what we've seen from Lillard you know, through his career that he's the sort of guy that's going to sulk or do play up like James Harden did last year and um, and sulk his way out of town. I think if you know if a trade doesn't happen, um, whether he wanted one or not, I think he'll come back and be professional and and you know and play to, to an extremely high level like he always has. So um, you know it's one of these situations where it just feels like the time is probably right for for a change for both Lillard and the organization and and a bit of a reset because he's probably right. I think this this team's you know been. Been to the playoffs a number of times, you know, been to a Western Conference, you know, deep run. Um, I think now's probably the time to, to have a, a different look at it. But, you know, moving on from Damian Lillard, you spoke about you'd never want to shift a goal like Kawhi Leonard out of town um, if you didn't have to. Well, Lillard's certainly in that same category. So, you know, uh, you're probably better off having him. But I think, you know, at some point it, it might be good for, for both the player and the organisation to part ways.
0: Now we've seen in the past when the when these Team USA's come together that that players collude and they, and they start uh, arranging these super teams. We obviously the, the most famous example, of course, being the Miami Heat getting together with Bosch Wade, and, and LeBron um, when they played on that Redeem team together. So if I'm looking at Team USA now, there's probably two names that jump out at me that would be getting into Bradley uh, into Damian Lillard's ear at the moment: Draymond Green to get to get him across to Golden State. Maybe they could package up a. A Wiggins, a James Wiseman, and and their two first round picks that they've got this year, or even a Jason Tatum. Maybe you throw a Jalen Brown and some picks as well at Portland to to get to get uh, Lillard across the line. Uh, which which team there would you prefer uh, Lillard to go to, or do you think either one of those trade scenarios are even sort of viable?
1: Oh, I mean, if you're talking Lillard, the Golden State Warriors alongside Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, I think well, that would just decent be, amount of shooting. Be, Be, you know, we thought about, you know, the Splash Brothers or the best shooting backcourt of all time. Well, it just goes on to an entirely different level. If that was somehow able to be the case, that'd be a hell of a lot of fun. But, um, oh, look, I think, you know, all all these type of options are going to get floated around, and, you know, there'll always be the oh, yeah, time to get to New York and be the man to save New York, and there'll be all that type of chatter as well. So, yeah, I think there'll be options of plenty. Um, but yeah, that that Golden State one certainly um, would be the most fun for sure.
0: Well, it's going to be a big off season. A lot of these guys, Kawhi, uh, Lillard, you know, Bradley Beal, who's, who's withdrawn from Team USA, but his his futures are obviously a little bit up in the air as well. So it's going to be an intriguing off season and and the draft as well, which is coming uh, coming up as well. So a lot to a lot to talk about. So we'll call it there, Caddy. Uh, as I say every week, thank you to everybody who does continue to download this podcast. Please jump on Apple Podcasts if you haven't as yet. Give us that five star rating. Also jump on the Facebook page. Uh, Like the page as the episodes do get posted there. And as I've said the last few weeks, if you do have some friends that you know are interested in NBA basketball, if you could share this podcast with them, that would be much appreciated. Until next week, we'll talk to you then.